So let me read a couple of verses for you and then we'll, we'll get into this. Jesus said, There was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived each day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. As Lazarus laid there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels. So if, if, you, if you want to know the, the subject of this story is verse 22. That is the subject. So everything else is centered around verse 22. Finally, the poor man died and was carried by angels to sit beside Abraham at the, at the heavenly banquet. The rich man also died and was buried. Heavenly Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus for your word. Thine word is truth. We thank you, Lord God, that heaven is real and hev hell is real. We thank you that there is a time to live. And there is a time to die. There is a season for every single thing. Lord God, we pray that when the role is called up yonder, that we will indeed be there. That we will meet together on that beautiful shore one day in the sweet by and by. Spirit of the living God, open our ears to hear your voice, our eyes to see your truth, our minds to understand your word, and our hearts to receive everything you have in store for us. Lord God, we decrease in the name of Jesus so that you would increase. The glory is yours, the honor is yours, the power is yours, the majesty and the dominion. It all belongs to you. So let let your will be done and let your kingdom come in this house this morning. Let no flesh glory in your presence. We honor you in Jesus' strong and mighty name. Amen and amen. You may be seated. So the theme or the subject of this story, this parable, is in verse uh, 22. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. You see, death is never a pleasant subject. And perhaps it is our reluctance to discuss it that causes so many misconceptions about what happened when we die. The church doesn't talk about it except at funeral. So people don't even know what to do. Nobody sits down at Christmas and say, listen, for Christmas dinner, we need to talk about death. Nobody comes to thanksgiving and say, listen, now that we have given thanks for life, let's begin to talk about our preparation for dying. Every holiday celebrates life. Nobody talks about death. Or very few. But over the years of ministry, I've had the occasion Occasion to be involved in many funerals. And so when I preach at funerals, it is always with the realization that it is a great responsibility. For I realize that I represent Jesus Christ and I'm charged with the responsibility to proclaim the good news of the forgiveness of sin and the salvation that is possible. To all that call upon the name of Jesus. This story, however, begins by contrasting the difference between the lives of two men. 
one rich and one poor. It is not only a contrast between their circumstances in this life, but of their destinies in the life to come. The real point is that what you decide in time, you experience in eternity. Your time decision determines your eternal consequences. You only get in eternity what you decide in time. That's what the story is about. It's not about the stuff that they had. It's about the decision that they made. And so it is today. It's never about the stuff we have or we don't have. It's the decision that we make regardless of what we have or don't have. In fact, in verse 19 and 20, we are introduced to the two men. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a, a beggar named Lazarus. I mean, Lazarus always in the Bible around some dead stories, right? Like, don't name your child Lazarus, right? <laughs> just, 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 right? Covered with sores and longing to eat and fe what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. So the rich man is clothed in purple and fine linen. The beggar is in rags. The rich man lived in a stately mansion. The beggar was laid by sympathetic friends at the gate of the mansion. The rich man had a healthy, well-nourished body. The beggar was full of sores. The rich man was feared, uh, the rich man feared sumptuously every day. The beggar lived on crumbs from his table. The rich man had physicians to care for him. Dog licked the sores of Lazarus. Do you realize that? Like anything like, what does that mean? Yet both men died. Can you imagine? The man who was rich died. The man who was poor died. The man who dressed good died. The man who had no clothes died. The man who had a mansion died. The man who was homeless died. The man who was popular died. The one who was unpopular died. Listen, listen, listen. The one who was taking care of his health died. And the one who was not taking care of his health died. One had a doctor and died. One had no doctor and died. You know what that means? No matter your state, you are going to die. Normally, I tell you to look at your neighbor and tell them that, but nobody wants you to tell them that. <laughs> Especially if you're beside your, your wife or your husband, you may not want to. You may not. You may not want to tell them that, right? I know Nick could not do that, right? Because he's beside his mother, and his mother is not going to tell him that. But but the truth is, I, I will tell you, you are going to die. Both men died and it was death that changed everything in the story. In fact, verse 22, it reads, The time came. Now I can tell you to, tell to you, talk to your neighbor. Turn to your neighbor and say, Your time is coming. <laughs> I 
The story said, the time came when the beggar died. And the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. It means that his time came as well. Your time is coming. Our time is coming. I can't tell you when, but I know it's sure. It is coming. And if you plan to live, you must make plans so when you die. I'm not talking about determining what is the color of your casket. I'm talking about making sure you have a mansion in the sky. If you're preparing for a casket, you're missing out. Your mind must be on the mansion, not the casket. All that we are told about the beggar is that he died. Nothing is said about his burial. Now you have to understand the culture that they lived in. And so the fact that we are not told of his burial leads us to believe what happened in the culture. That when Lazarus died, his body was carted away to the city dump and burnt along with the trash. Because that's what they would do if there's no one to take care of you. They had a city, a place where they would bring people who died because they were termed as unclean. And they would burn them with trash. The scripture said he died and he was he didn't say anything about buried because if he was buried you would believe then that there is a funeral which is also part of the custom so he did not have a funeral he was burned because there was no one to keep any funeral for him the rich man also died and although we are not told so we can imagine that he was given a glorious send off the finest funeral that money could buy. As both men died and passed through the deaths, through death's portals, an amazing reversal occurred. Here's the reversal. The beggar died and angels carried him into God's presence. That's what it said. Abraham's side. The rich man also died, but no angels carried him in God's presence. So remember, a parable is a story that Jesus is telling to make a point. Which is saying that there are some people who die and they are carried into the presence of God. And there are some other people who die who don't end up there. Right? So, the rich man also died, but no angels carried him. So where he went, angels didn't bring him there. Clear, right? A split second after he died, he woke up in a terrifying place called hell. I want to suggest to you the possibility that this man was shocked to find himself in hell. I believe that a few moments after death, the rich man changed his mind about many great things. You can tell from the story that he was like, how did I end up here? I believe, you can write this down, it will come up on the overhead. I believe he changed his mind about what was important in life. Think he realized that the house don't matter anymore. The car don't matter anymore. The money in the bank don't matter anymore. The fine clothing don't matter anymore. The status don't matter anymore. None of these things matter anymore. Are they important in this life? Yes, they are. But they are not to be 
most important things in our life. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. He probably considered himself a religious man. He may have been faithful to the synagogue and given lots of money to religious causes. The revelation of where each man ended up after death would have astonished Jesus' original audience and shattered their long-held assumption about wealth being a sign of God's favor and blessings. Somehow the people that Jesus was talking to, they were questioning him because they thought that somehow if you look good and had enough money, God's blessings and favor are with you. So Jesus is not only talking about eternity. He's saying that don't value what people get in eternity with the value of their life in time. You you understand me? Because you can be poor and spend eternity with God. And you can be rich and spend eternity separated from God. Because it is the rich in Christ. Blessed are the poor in heart. When he says the poor in heart, it's talking about that spiritual bankruptcy. It's not talking about, I want you to understand, it's a spiritual thing. So to be poor in heart is good. It doesn't mean that God has a problem with you having stuff. But stuff cannot be used to measure where people, persons spend eternity. The rich man obviously had lived without God in this world. So he would live without him in the next. I put it to you. That if you live without God in time. You are going to live without him in eternity. But not only did the rich man. Having no share with God. And just lose God forever. He lost even those things. Which he had in this life. So. So the fine clothing didn't matter anymore. He was buried. The stately mansion didn't matter anymore. For he was buried. Job puts it right for us. Naked I came. And naked shall I return. The Lord gives. The Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He changed his mind. About the importance of life. I believe he changed his mind about the reality of eternity. You know one one of the the things that time tricks us with. Is that we forget that there is eternity. We spend so much time focusing on time. That we forget there is greater time. Outside of time. Called eternity. We are so fixated on time. That we don't think about eternity. That is why the church must continue to preach. The reality of hell to people. And heaven. You can't talk about heaven. And not talk about hell. We must be full of grace. And truth. Watch it. It changes man about the reality of eternity. So we have before us, this is the only place in the word of God where we are told the actual thoughts, the emotions, and the words of someone who is in hell. Nowhere in the scripture are we given 
such a description of actually what happens in hell. Why is this important? You know why? Because this is not Peter or Paul. This is Jesus himself telling us. The rich man's experience set before us some terrifying realizations. When you listen to him and see what he's going through, it brings some stuff to reality. Jesus was trying to get the people to understand. This is what hell is like. You don't want that. What is it like? Hell is real. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, hell is real. We don't like to think about the reality of hell. And many of us, we often hear the statement, I don't believe that a good God will send anyone to hell. But what that statement itself is based on error and inconsistency of the highest order. And let me tell you why. How could a good judge sentence a mass murderer to death for his crime? Any, any of you are upset when, like recently we had in Jamaica, a young man who killed a mother and I think three kids, right? And he was given like I think 60, life, 65 years before parole. How many think like the judge was wrong to do that? In fact, some of us said that that is not what the judge should have done. That required the death. R right? We don't say the judge is wrong. We don't say that because the judge is not responsible for the man being sentenced to death. His actions are. So let me help you. God don't send people to hell. Our actions send us. Amen? When the court sends somebody to jail for a crime, it's not the judge's fault. It is their actions. God is a just judge, so don't blame him. It is our action. For there is consequences in eternity for our actions in time. Let me say that to you again. There are consequences in eternity for our actions in time. For whatever we sow, so shall we reap. So Paul says it this way in Romans 11.22. Therefore consider the goodness. And then he says, and the severity of God. God is good. But there's a time to laugh. And there's a time. I'm telling you. And if you make wrong choices, you're going to reap a reward that you don't like. So if hell is not real, and everyone is going to heaven, eventually, we don't need to have church. We don't need to talk about baptism. We don't need to talk about salvation. So if you believe that there is a heaven, you must believe that there is a hell. Hell is real. Not only is hell real, but hell is terrible. Tell any of hell is terrible. In fact, the first one is hell is real, right? The second one is hell is terrible. 
to tell the person beside you, hell is really terrible. <laughs> hell is terrible. Right? Uh, 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 some people have an image of hell that is not based on reality. They think it's a cool hangout spot for people who don't get to go to heaven. Like, so what is wrong? It's not like, it's not like anything going to happen to you. It's like, what do you think going to happen? If you go to hell, you just go to hell. Wait, what do you think? Like, I don't like we can feel or know nothing or it's going to matter. We're going to look at scripture. In fact, Mark Twain, <laughs> he says this, right? He says, I'll take heaven for the climate. Because he heard that hell was hot. So he wanted the cool climate of heaven. But he says, but I'll, I'll take hell for the, the society. Because he believes that, hey, the people that don't hell, are them amused to hang out with. He won't hang out. You see, that, that false reality of what hell is, make people believe like it's nothing to be fearful of. It, it's okay if you go there. Don't feel bad because nothing, it's, it's, just, a, it's just a next place. And the church makes people feel like hell is just a next place. You know, like, hell is like, you know, like, like prison. You know, it's like jail. It's like an asylum for the mentally ill. Like, like, you know, it's like, you see, we go to, you know, so we have hell on earth. You ever hear that one yet? And people say, well, if hell is on earth, then man, I can't deal with what going on to hell. Because I'm a manage earth. So, so let's help. I, I, I tell you this, people would not be so flippant about hell if they understood the reality of hell. Throughout the experience of this man, Jesus gives us a glimpse into hell. It is brief but powerful enough to blow apart many of the misconceptions about hell. One of the, the misconceptions is that hell is a state of nothingness. We just cease to exist Hearing, seeing, and feeling nothing. So people teach and tell people that you won't hear anything, see anything, you won't feel anything. So what's there to fear? In this story, however, we are made to understand that hell is a real place of conscious anguish. And I want you to remember that word conscious. Conscious means awareness of what is happening. So you are aware of an anguish that you are going through that you can do nothing about. The man was not dreaming. His hell was not on earth. He was consciously aware of his surroundings. In other words, from the story we realize that he could feel. That means when if you should get to hell, you'll be able to feel. The man could speak. We will see him speaking. In fact, you see where he experienced thirst. And he spoke about being in anguish. He had feelings. So he had feelings. Right? He spoke. And he had awareness. So hell is not a place of nothingness. In fact, in verse 24, the scripture says, he pleads. He says, Father Abraham. Hey, 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 listen. The man said, Father Abraham. This man didn't know the Bible. 
you, you understand that this man probably used to go to church. Grew up and understood the Christian faith. Or the Jewish faith. Here's what he said. Have pity on me. He also knew Lazarus. And he said, send Lazarus. Watch this. To dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. In other words, he was saying, my God, it is so hot down here. That if I could get a little water, just a tip of your finger in some water to put on my tongue. He says, here's why, because, because, because it's there, right? You, you see it in your Bible, you have to look in your Bible. The word because is there. He says, because I am in agony. Some translation says, torment, what? In what? In this fire. The man says, I am in agony in this fire. He didn't say that fire. He says this fire. Which is implying... That he is in a constant state of burning. Feeling it and can do nothing about it. And he's not dying. Come on. Hell is terrible. I, I know sometimes, listen, let me, let, me, let me tell you how this works. When I say torment. Jamaican says stuff like, stop torment, you know. In other words, it is annoying, nagging. The man is in torment. In other words, this is a constant happening. You ever feel the heat in your house yet? And you can't sleep? You drink water, but you're still thirsty? You just a sweat? You take a shower, and while you, you're drying off, your sweat will run off of you? And you set yourself, me just beard. For some of us who are fortunate to have an AC, you turn on the AC... And my God, you turn it up and you have to call the AC man next day because the gas rules up because the time is so hot. You open the windows. I mean, and you just torment. You're just up and down. You want to watch TV, but you can't watch TV. You have fun with your little book and the book start get. It can't even call you anymore. Listen, that is nothing compared to what this man is going through. Hell is terrible. Liberal Bible scholars have been telling us for decades that what the Bible says about hell, they say it is symbolic. Yeah, you know, is that it's just uh, it's not really what it is, but God wants you to understand the gravity and the magnitude of what could happen to you, so you turn to heaven. But it's not really real. It, William Evans, however, points out in this in his book. The great doctrine of the Bible, the book is called. He says, Is the fire spoken of literal fire? He says, It is an acceptable law of language that a figure of speech is less intense than the reality. If fire is merely a figurative expression, it must stand for some great reality. He says, And if the reality is more intense than the figure, what an awful thing the punishment symbolized by fire must be. He's saying that even if you don't believe a fire, the fact that this kind of thing is used to describe it, imagine what it is referring to. So he's saying, fine. You're saying this is not. Alright, it's not fire. What then 
if it is compared to, the, to that. And he says, think about that for a moment. I'm going to give you that it is not really that. But, but you can't get away from the fact that he's comparing it to it. And if he's comparing it to something so terrible, can you just imagine what it is in reality? In, 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 in fact, this is not the only place in the Bible that they use this vivid language. Jesus used them to describe hell. In Matthew 25 verse 30, Jesus describes hell as a place of utter darkness. And there is weeping and a gnashing of teeth. You know that one, right? Weeping. You know what that means? So I don't think we understand it. No. Weeping and wailing is not... <laughs> That's sobbing. Alright? Crying is... Ah, ah, ah. That's crying. There's a difference. You want your weeping? There you go. <laughs> Hell... Is also described in Mark 9 verse 48. As a place where the worms do not die. And the fire is not quenched. So if you understand fire. If it is not quenching. It is increasing in intensity. In other words. If it is not stable. Fire is not one of those stable forces. It's not like water. Where water can settle. Fire can't settle. There's no natural fire that settles. And if it says. Right remember. There's no quenching of it. It means that the intensity of it. Keeps going. And going. And going. And becomes more and more unbearable. In fact, the book of Revelation, final judgment is described as a lake of fire. You know that. So every description of hell is one of suffering, torment, and agony. Just turn to your neighbor and say, you don't want to go there. In this parable, we see the word torment. And torment is used, is used four times. And it speaks of Definite pain. Beyond the fact that hell is a place of conscious anguish. Also we see hell as a, as a place of profound regret. Have you have any regrets like man you miss an opportunity and you say boy if I had known. If I had done that. Boy I mean, miss the chance in a man. You understand me? Um, you know sometimes you do that. You, you made some decisions and you say if I had known. But over time you get over the regret right? You make some mistakes or you miss some opportunities. But the thing with regret is. You can get past it. Because you live to get past it. There's a difference with hell and regret. I'm going to explain that to you. So a, a tragedy greater than the one being described is hard to imagine. To miss an opportunity for something good is, is bad. To miss the greatest opportunity of all, the chance to go to heaven, is terrible. But to miss it forever... And to know that you have missed it forever is almost unbearable. So one of the greatest torments of hell will be 
everlasting regret. In other words, every day you get up, you are reminded, look what you miss. And you can't change it. And you wake up, well, not that you're sleeping, because you can't sleep because you're in torment. So every moment, all that is painted before is that, look at heaven, look what you're missing, look at heaven, look what you're missing. You're not sorry. Boy, oh boy, you wish you could do something about it, but you can't change it. In other words, you're, 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 you're being beaten down by the regret that you have. It's so unbearable, but you have to live with it because you can't die. And you can't change it. You can't move away from it. You can't run away from it. So you're living in a state of constant regret. Seeing a picture of the sweet by and by. Knowing that your, your mother is there, your father is there, your uncle is there, your spouse is there, your son is there, your daughter is there, and you're separated from them, and you can't do anything about it. And you live in that reality every single moment. Separated. You wish you could change it, but you can't. You can't pray yourself over it, can't repent yourself out of it, nothing. And every day you see it before you. Your wife or your kids and everybody having a jolly good time. Nothing you can do about it. Hell is real. Hell is terrible. And hell is final. A, a second misconception about hell is not realizing that the choices we make in this life fix our destiny in the next. You ever hear Jamaican say, boy, my life fix you know. It means that, it, they, them say this way, my life set you know. Like, like something happened and they say set, it means that it can't move, you know, like a concrete and cement. Man get married and say, my life set, you know. You understand me? Because him find him nice wife, him same life set, you know. It means that from now on, you can't even move me and shape me. Nothing about me again, brother. Everything all right, you know. You know, long me I wait to get married, my life set. Someone reach for it and him say, hey, my life set, you know. You know, long me I reach for it. Jamaican, I see me again, nothing all in here. My life set, you know. Man get some big money, probably win some lottery, and him say, yo, my life is set, you know, me can't broke again. You, you know the saying, fix, it means that unmovable, not going to change. So let me say it again. Choices you make in this life, fix our destiny in the next. It means that, you see what choice you make? No. You see what you get in eternity? Maybe give you some part of it. He fix. He set. Hey, what it what you decide in this life set you for eternity. I come on, tell your neighbor. I hate that. In other words, there are no second chances after death. You have a million choices and more now while you're alive. But after you die, you don't even have one. It, 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 like, like, hey, listen to that. No man can complain. You have over a billion choices in this life. But after you die, you don't even get one. If I were you, if, turn to him and say, if I were you, I would take one of the chances now. Watch this. Surely one of the most fearful horror of hell is the undying memory of what could have been. So listen to Abraham's response to the man in verse 25 with this word. He says, son. 
And when I read that this week, I've read it so many times. He said, son. He said, father Abraham. Abraham said, son. You realize that this is a son that is missing out? A son is missing out on this. Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good thing. While Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. The story also addresses the misconception that there is some kind of purgatory. That after we spend some time in hell, we'll be able to get out. Like you're going to get bail. Ah, stand me. Listen, the only ransom that is paid is Jesus Christ in this life. After that, no ransom can be again. Verse 26 says, And besides all this, brethren, be, sorry, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed. In other words, on, not moving. So that those who want to go from here to you cannot. Nor can you cross over from there to us. You can't cross it. Come on, t- tell the neighbor again. Say, that's it. You can't cross it. The gulf that could have been bridged while alive has now become uncrossable. The gulf is uncrossable because scripture makes it clear that our time on this earth is a place for personal decision. One's eternal destiny is determined by what one does and believes on earth. After that, it is fixed. There is no purgatory. There is no reincarnation. No chance for relief. There is no way out. There is no end. There is no kidding. There is no escape. There is no time out. There is no break. It is done. The fat lady has sung. The towel has been thrown in. The referee has blown the whistle. Listen. TKO. 10 counts. No recovery. It is done. And it is over with. Hell, in hell, it is too late to change your life. And it is too late to repent. Therefore, hell is a place without hope. If you have no hope, you have no life. Listen, the reason why you are living is because you have hope. You have hope for a better tomorrow. You have hope that Things can change. When a man loses hope, he loses the will to live. Right? Like if you have no hope for anything, like you cease to exist. You may be alive, but you're not living. In hell, there is no hope. There, there is no better tomorrow. There is no recovery. There is no healing. There is no change. But, but, but finally, I believe he changed his mind about eter- the reality of eternity. And thirdly, I believe he changed his mind about prior. And changed his life about prior. Let's go to verse 27. Let me read this for you. It says, Then the rich man said, which is, he prayed, said, Please, Father Abraham, at least send me to my father's home. Right? For I have five brothers, 
And I want him to warn them so that they don't end up in this place of torment. You see, there's so much to extrapolate from this. So he began to do something that he had not done before, which is pray. And I don't mean that he had never prayed. I suspect that this man would have done what we sometimes call saying the prayers. You know, people can say prayers, say grace, and say bedtime prayers, and morning prayers. But they're not really praying, no. they just say prayers. You know, there's a difference between praying and saying prayers. Not because you say prayer means you're praying, you know. Reciting and praying is two different things. Wait, 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 we're not going to go there. I don't want to get in the trouble, right? Perhaps he had gone to the synagogue and recited his prayers. Yet never in his rich life had he really prayed. But this was different now. He, he prayed convinced that there was a reason to pray and something to pray for. In fact, he says, in hell he lifted up his eyes. Right? He lifted up his eyes and he cried out. So he lifted up his eyes and he cried out. I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house. For I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said. But if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they don't listen to Moses and to the prophets, they will not be convinced if someone rises from the dead. Can you believe it? We don't see the rich man reveling in fellowship with his friends. He's very much alone. You don't hear him down there playing dominoes and say, boy, you know, star, you know, say, at least we get to play some dominoes, you know. He didn't say, I am glad my brothers will be joining me here. When they reach, we'll have a wonderful time together. In fact, the rich man expresses concern for his five brothers. And he asks that someone be sent back to warn them. That their choices in this life has consequences in the next. In other words, this man is saying, listen, listen. Go and tell them because, you see where I'm at? I don't want them to be. Can you imagine that, that you end up there and you're at a place that's in please? I don't want nobody to be here. So I know that hell is not a place where people want to be. He says, listen, listen, please go and tell them to change their life because they don't want to be in this place. How does that work? Listen, listen, listen. We are not in hell, but we have the same message today. What is the message we have? We have seen the reality of hell. So we need to warn people. Like, listen, listen, listen. You don't want to go there. Because we have seen the reality of it in the scriptures. We are warning you. This is the warning. Trust me, you don't want to go there. This man knew that even now his brothers had the same attitude had that had characterized him. And that would... That had brought him to his present state. He's concerned that they do not end up in this place. Listen, are you concerned when you read about the reality of hell in scriptures? Are you concerned about your brother? About your sister? About your spouse? About your neighbor? 
and say, you, you don't want to go there. Listen, I have to warn you. I have to talk to you. I have to plead with you. Please, you don't want to go there. Change your life now. Because what you choose now determines what you get in eternity. Implied in the rich man's argument is that Moses said, is that Moses and the prophets and the word of God was not enough. He was basically saying, they're not, I mean, Moses, the Bible is not enough. In fact, he, he kind of implies that I didn't have a fair chance. I was not sufficiently warned. Otherwise, I would not be here. My destiny is God's fault, but not mine. But here's my question to you. Where are you headed? Heaven or hell? Because you have been warned. The thing is, what choice will you make? The man is saying that God's warning, he's saying that God's warning through his word, Moses and the prophet, was inadequate and it wasn't powerful enough. He said, no, no, we need something more powerful to convince people. We need, we need miracle signs and wonders. And if miracle signs and wonders start happening in the church, people will come to Jesus. Don't you hear that? Yes, yes, where are the signs and where are the wonders? If people, listen, if they don't believe the word, they're not going to believe the signs. And that man was making the excuse. Says a perverse and an unbelieving people look for signs. But while this verse teaches that God will not give people supernatural signs and wonders to get them to repent, this verse also teaches that a person can avoid hell if they listen to God's word and repent. All you need is to read the Bible. The Bible is enough. Even if you never attend the church and you read the word of God, it is enough. To lead you to a place where you live. In one of those mansions in the sky. The Bible has all the information you need. You just need to hear the information that you have. It's not that people don't know. They don't want to heed. Only one thing will prevent this man brothers. From joining him in hell. To hear the word of God. And respond to it in faith. And that's what some people need to do. Hear the word and respond in faith. Why? Because God has spoken in his creation. When you look and you see creation, you know that there is a God. When you look throughout history, the beginning of mankind, you know that God is real. When you listen and hear his spoken word, you know that he is real. And above all that, he has given his son. And his son has spoken. The writer of Hebrews says this. God, Hebrews 1, 1 to 2. God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son. Every time you hear a sermon, every time you hear a gospel song, every time you hear the Bible being read, that's God speaking to you. And you have a choice to make. Because the choice you make determines the consequences you face. 
Therefore, no one is without responsibility or has a valid excuse. Every man in every place will have an opportunity to either receive or reject the Savior. I believe this man changed his mind about prior. So no matter who you are or what you have done, you are not yet in the position of this man who prayed but prayed too late. You are still living in time. So you today get to determine what you experience in eternity. So the good news today is that you really don't have to go to hell. You can heed the word of God. You can repent and be saved. And once we have that matter established in our own lives, then we must think of others. Each of us today know people who have no idea where they will spend eternity. And some of you even know people who are positive that they are going to hell. If you ask them, they will tell you, well, me know some of you go to hell. And you know what we do? We walk past them same way and we laugh. Yet, we refuse to say anything to them about it. When we keep our mouths shut, we are really shouting at the top of our lungs, you can go to hell. Is that really what you want to be saying? I want you to think about it. Every time we refuse to tell people about hell, every time we refuse to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, what we are really doing is saying to them, you can go to hell. And that's the reality of the Christian faith. Hell is real. It's terrible. It is final. And you only get in eternity what you have decided in this life. There is always God's goodness. But there is also the severity of God. He's a just God. God don't send you anywhere. Your choices do. And your actions do. So I want you to bow your heads with me. And there are two things we want to do as we close today. One is very simple. If you are confident... That if you should die today, you spend eternity. You will spend eternity with God. You will be living in the sweet by and by. You will meet Him on that beautiful shore. When the roll is called up yonder, you will be there. If you are confident, you just need to thank God right now and say, Lord, I thank you for saving me. I thank you that my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Thank him for saving you from the grips of hell. Thank him for moving you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his light. Thank him because this is such a great thing. Woo! God, I thank you for saving me. When I, when I think about the unquenchable fire, the constant 
anguish, the hopelessness, the everlasting regret, the worms that never die. Lord, I thank you for salvation. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. That chance of a chance you gave me. And by faith, I gladly took one. God, my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. So ask him also, Lord, give me the courage and give me the strength to be a witness for you. To warn others about hell and give them an invite to heaven. Come on, just ask him to give you the courage and give you the wisdom and to empower you by his Holy Spirit. For the scripture says, when the Holy Spirit shall come upon you, you shall be my witnesses. He empowers us by the Holy Spirit. So we will fulfill the great commission. That we will go into all the world and making disciples of all men. Baptizing them in the name of the Father. So we have a mandate from heaven. Because we are headed to heaven. As we are charging towards heaven. We pull others along with us. And save them from the clutches of hell. And we do that in season and out of season. So ask him, say, Lord, give me an opportunity this week. Today, Lord. To share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. To share with someone the reality of hell. Open my eyes to see and my ears to hear what the Spirit is doing all around me. In Jesus' name. Listen, there are some of you, you, you're not sure. Maybe for whatever reason, you're not sure where you would spend eternity. You have heard the warning. You have heard the message. God loves you. And He is preparing a mansion for you as well. And all you have to do is to heed the word of the Lord. And so if you're here this morning and you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. And maybe you did and you have backslidden in heart and in attitude. And you want to recommit your life to him. You want to leave from that place of torment. And enjoy the glory of heaven. If that's you, I'm going to ask you with every head bowed and every eye closed. Just stand to your feet. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I don't want you to leave here because our time is coming. I don't know when is your time, but I know the time is coming. When some will be buried and some will be carried into the presence of the Lord. What will be your choice today? Will you surrender to him? Or will you continue to live in darkness and make choices in time that places you in the center 
of a hell you don't want to be in. And for that, the reality. It doesn't matter what you have or don't have. Whether you're rich or rich or poor or educated or uneducated. Our time will come. Hallelujah. And so Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. And I pray for every person in this place. That as sons of the seed of faith, Abraham. Sons of the Most High God. Joint ears with God and ears with Jesus Christ. Ears of God, joint ears with Jesus. I pray in the name of Jesus that we will go into all the world and preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. We will not be afraid to tell people about hell. For hell is as real as heaven is. And if you preach it, we ought to preach it. So give us the courage to speak. He said, in that time, you will tell us what to say. And when we open our mouths, you will fill it. We thank you. We bless you and we glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Come on, clap your hands for Jesus. Listen, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. I know we don't do this. Listen, the church has made songs, funeral songs. But if you listen to the words of the song, it's reminding you of how glorious heaven is. It's not for funeral. It's a testimony of heaven. Amen? No, I know the praise and worship don't like to sing these songs because it reminds them of funeral. But I'm telling you, sometimes they need to remember. Sometimes they need to remember funerals so you can know that you need Jesus. Amen? We sang? Yes, sir. I don't know a funeral song. Uh, by and by, we will meet on that beautiful shore. In the sweet by and by, we will meet on that beautiful shore.